Jesus had just shared the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. <clears throat> they left the upper room. He's leading them down a path that will take them from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of the only places, and some say the only place, where you can walk, where you know for sure Jesus actually stepped there. Because it's a stone path that is the only way to get to the gate that leads to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've excavated it, and they say this is one of the only places, maybe the only place, where you know for sure Jesus' feet actually touched these stones. Not that that matters. We don't want to be worshipers of things, but I think it's an interesting fact. So they're walking down this path. If you look at the end of John 14, you would see that um, he, he speaks to them, and he says, let us go hence. And where are they going? They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. So everything that happens in John 15 and 16, he's speaking to them as they're walking. So they're walking down the path, and the first thing he starts to tell them as they make this trip from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane is about this concept of abiding in Christ. Now, I don't know of a more important concept for believers. It's, it brings you victory, it brings you strength. It's your way to have peace and joy and answered prayer. It's your way to be productive or to use Jesus' word, fruitful, to bear fruit for the Lord is by abiding in Christ. This is a very important topic, so I beg you not to just blow it off. But I beg you to, on purpose, take an interest in this thing of abiding in Christ. You get saved by receiving Christ, but you enjoy the benefits of the Christian life by learning what it means to abide in Christ. Now, if I said this morning, turn to the abiding in Christ passage in your Bible, every seasoned Christian would turn to John 15, and you'd be right. But if you turn to 1 John chapter 2, you'd be just as right. You see... As Jesus walked and talked with the apostles that night, there were 10 of them plus Jesus. I'm sorry, 11 of them plus Jesus. I was getting my stories mixed up with Joseph and his brothers this morning. There were 11 of them plus Jesus. And John was one of those 11 that heard Jesus teach on abiding in Christ with his own ears. When he was an old man, the Lord used John to pen the gospel of John. And then it's estimated any time between 5 and 20 years after he penned the Gospel of John, he penned the book of 1 John. So there's the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, and there's 1 John, 5 chapters. I remember being at church service when I was a kid, and the preacher said, open up to John chapter 4. And a lady in the congregation yelled out, this really happened, yelled out, you talking about Big John or Little John? What she meant was, do you mean John or First John? So God used John to pen the Gospel of John, 21 chapters long, and then anywhere it's estimated between 5 and 20 years later, God used him to write the epistle of First John. And here's the thing. When God used John to write the Gospel of John, he gave this account of Jesus' teaching about abiding in Christ. For some reason, God didn't have Matthew or Mark or Luke include it. 
But he had John write about abiding in Christ in John 15. So that's what we know of as the abiding in Christ chapter. But when God had John write the epistle of 1 John, he wrote about abiding in Christ in, in, the, gospel, in the epistle of 1 John. Let me show you. Uh, the, the word abide in its various forms is used in John 15 a total of seven times. It's used in 1 John 2 a total of eight times. So it is no less a, a passage about the abiding in Christ. 1 John 2, 6, he that saith he abideth in him, meaning abideth in Christ. Verse 10, abideth in the light. Verse 14, the word of God abideth in you. Hey, that's interesting because Jesus said, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. John's quoting that here in 1 John 2, 14, the word of God abideth in you. Verse 17, abideth forever. Verse 24, let that abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. Verse 27, the anointing abideth in you. Verse 27, ye shall abide in him. Verse 28, abide in him. Eight times in 1 John chapter 2. And those are the two most abundant uses of the word abide in all of the New Testament. John 15 and 1 John 2. The concept of abiding in Christ and letting the word abide in you is woven throughout 1 John 2. It's very clear. John 15 could be called abiding in Christ, part 1, and 1 John 2 could be called abiding in Christ, part 2. In first, I'm sorry, in John 15, Jesus taught us what it meant to abide in Christ, and I've preached on that many times. In 1 John 2, John tells us how to know if you're really abiding in Christ. So John 15, Jesus tells us how to live that lifestyle. And 1 John 2 gives you some ways to gauge how you're doing. How are you doing at abiding in Christ? If you make no effort at it, I can guarantee you, you're failing. Now, by the way, you can abide in Christ while as, as a matter of pursuing something else. For example, you could be pursuing living the spirit-filled life and you'd also be abiding in Christ. There's not two different lifestyles you have to live or two different things you have to remember. I believe there's a multitude of names for the same concept. Walking in the light, 1 John 1. Walking in the spirit. And a number of other phrases that the Bible talks about that if you're living the crucified life, Romans chapter 6, we've been learning about on Wednesday night. I believe if you're actively pursuing any of these things, you're abiding in Christ. But I can tell you this, if you're making no effort, you're not. If you're just living out your life like your unsaved neighbor and the only difference is you're going to heaven when you die, he's not then you're not succeeding at abiding in Christ. It takes an effort, folks. Don't forget, 2 Peter chapter 1 says, giving all diligence add to your faith. If I asked a question this morning, how many of you exercise on a daily basis? You would know either you are or you aren't. And to protect my own self, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? You know whether you're exercising or not. 
And you know whether you're making an effort to abide in Christ, walk in the light, live the crucified life. You know whether you're doing that or not. 1 John 2, God gives to us so we can measure our success. How how are we doing? How are you doing at abiding in Christ? What are your numbers? How are you doing? So let's look at this. Now, I believe if you were to examine 1 John 2, and I, I challenge you to do this, take it home and read it and read it and read it again. That's, by the way, that's the way you get to, to understand what's going on in a chapter, especially in the epistles. Just read it over and over and over again. If you were to examine 1 John chapter 2 carefully, I think you'd fi- clearly see five characteristics of the Christian who is abiding in Christ. And I'm going to share those with you, and we'll be all done. The first one, five characteristics of the Christian who's abiding in Christ, and they'll go quickly. The first one is in verses 1 through 6. Let's look at verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he, Jesus, walked. So number one, the Christian who's abiding in Christ will walk as Jesus walked. You can read the Gospels to see how Jesus walked. And we ought to be walking the same way. Now listen, I'm not just saying that you should try to walk as Jesus walked. I believe if you're abiding in Christ, it'll happen automatically. But you need to look at the concept of the Christian who is abiding in Christ will walk as Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus walked, and then measure and say, you know what, I don't. I don't, I'm not any closer to walking like Jesus walked than I was when I first got saved. Then you're not doing a good job of abiding in Christ. So don't try to walk like Jesus walked. Focus your attention on abiding in Christ and understanding what that means. But the Christian who is abiding in Christ will walk as Jesus walked. I'm talking about his prayer life. His words, I believe John's talking about the words uh, he, he used, how he spoke, the way he loved, his responses to people, his attitude, his spirit, dare I say, his moods. I don't think Jesus had moods. His priorities, his focus. Read the Gospels. And say, is my life any closer to being like that than it was when I got saved? If the answer is no, I need to figure out. I need to beg God to teach me what it means to abide in Christ. Because 1 John 2, 6 says that if I'm abiding in Christ, I ought to be walking like Jesus walked. Second characteristic of the Christian who's abiding in Christ, verses 7 through 11, the Christian who's abiding in Christ will love his brethren, his brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 2, 9 and 10, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother, he is in darkness even until now. He that loveth, loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. How are you at loving your fellow believers? Do you start conflicts with fellow believers everywhere you go? Are you better at one accord or at discord? Now, look, it's easy to love lovable Christians. That's not the challenge. All right? Everybody, for example, there's Brother Corky. Brother Corky's in the back. Who could not love 
Brother Corky, unless you're an inmate. Who could not love Brother Corky? For those of you who don't get that, uh, he's a retired prison guard. So uh, anyway, so I've, I've always worked hard not to make him mad because there must be a side of him that we haven't seen, you know. But who could not love Brother Corky? But, but here's the thing. Every one of us as believers has the potential of letting Satan get in our head and play on our own flesh, and we can turn on people. So it's not a challenge for me to love Brother Corky as he is. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. It's when, God forbid, he lets some negative critical thing take over and all of a sudden I have people coming to me telling me you know brother Corky called me aside out in the parking lot after church and he just laid into you like you wouldn't believe by the way when you do that not everybody you talk to is going to tell the other person about it but some of them are so be careful and by the way when Brother Corky comes back to me, and you know, and I don't, I don't go after people that talk. I'm talking about as a Christian, not as a pastor, or as a pastor, but I'm primarily as a Christian. I don't go after people that talk about me, but it affects the way you react when you understand they've been going around talking trash about you. It's going to affect the way you act. So, uh, oh, I had a point and I lost it. Well, let me keep going. So, oh, here's, here's the point. I found it. Um, so, Brother Corky finds a way to get me to admit that I've heard this. Because people that talk behind your back, they want a reaction. So they find a way to get you to talk a bit, to bring it out of you. And then they respond like this. You can't prove I've been talking about you. And anytime you get a you can't prove, you're talking to a guilty party. And so, no, I can't prove it. I don't have to prove anything, but here's my challenge. My challenge, I don't have to react. I don't have to respond. But here's where loving your brother really gets challenged. I've got a choice. I can defend and vindicate myself, but in order to do that, I'll have to trash Brother Corky. That's a tough choice. I either make sure everybody knows what he's been saying about me isn't true, but, it, but then I hurt his reputation. Or I can love him and say, I'll just take it. Now, if you've never been there, it doesn't sound that hard, but wait do you get there. When you have to choose, when loving your brother means I have to choose between defending myself or protecting his reputation. And you say, in order to love my brother, I'm going to let him say what he wants to say, and I'm not going to defend myself. That's graduate level, love the brethren. And God says if you're abiding in Christ, you don't have to vindicate yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. You just, you're looking out for your brother in Christ. So, the Christian who is abiding in Christ will walk as Jesus walked. The Christian who is abiding in Christ will love his brethren and brethren 
What's Cistern? Is that it? Cistern? Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Then verses 12 through 17, the Christian who's abiding in Christ will not love the things of the world. Verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now look, I love nature. It's my favorite time of year. I love to see, a month ago right now, everything was brown. Now it's green. I love it. You ask my, my wife, I'll just drive down the road and say, oh, look at all the green. It's so great. And then you've got, uh, you know, the occasional uh, cherry tree, dogwood tree, and then you throw in a Japanese maple, all these colors. I mean, just wonderful as you drive down the street. It's great. And then we've got our, our uh, dogwood tree out here that's been beat up so much by nature that it looks like a dogwood palm tree. Have you noticed that out there? But anyway, because we, you know, a storm comes up, we have to whack off a branch, and we whack off another branch. Now it's, it's uh, 20 feet tall and just some, some uh, flowers on top. But anyway, but I love nature. That's not what this is talking about, that you're not supposed to love nature. No, love not the world means love not the ways of fallen man. And he gives three clear definitions. Number one, the lust of the flesh, which is the desire to do. The lust of the eyes, which is the desire to have. And the pride of life, which is the desire to be. What else is the world living for but to do and to have and to be? And he says, if you're abiding in Christ, you won't be driven by those things as the world is. Sometimes we talk about worldly Christians, and we go through this made-up list of, well, what are you talking about? I don't go to bars. You know, I don't, uh, I don't smoke pot. I don't, uh, no, it's, 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 it's a little more serious than that. It's the philosophy of living to have, living to be, and living to do. And if you're driven by those things, then you are loving the world. And the Bible says the love of the Father is not in you. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all black and white. How about this? To the extent that you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Meaning to the extent that you love the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. To that extent, you don't love God as you should. Number four, verses 18 through 25. Little children, it's the last time as you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists. So Antichrist isn't just one guy. It's a philosophy. Whereby we know it's the last time. Verse 22. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. So number four, the Christian who's abiding in Christ will avoid deniers of Christ. You say, hey, I'm good on that one. Man, when them Jehovah's come by my door, I don't listen to them because they're deniers of Christ. Well, okay, that's, that's one application. But let me ask all of us, what about the people that are singing to us in our ear? I'm talking about the people that are doing the singing. I'm talking about the people who write the songs. What do they believe? Say, what? That's got nothing to do with anything, does it? Does the fact that they're coming through your phone instead of being, okay, would you go somewhere where you knew that the speaker 
was a Christ denier? I wouldn't. I don't think you would either. But if he records it and puts it to music and puts it through your earbud, and especially if he'll be singing about something else and not mention that, that's okay. See, what I'm saying is once you find out that that singer or that songwriter or that actor, or and here's, here's where we get tripped up, that comedian is a Christ denier, a God hater, and they're out there. Once you find out that that's who they are, it ought to grieve your spirit at the thought of letting them talk or sing in your ear or letting them entertain you. So maybe we're not so clean on the Christ denier thing, on the anti-Christ thing. You know, we're also, if you're aware of prophecy and you've been in this thing for a while, you're very conscious of, man, I ain't going to take the mark. <laughs> I ain't going to be fooled by that child. I ain't going to let him get. But he sings in our ear and we're okay with it. He plays a part on television and we're okay with it. And you can hear him interviewed and find. I don't think you should just wait till you hear the dude interviewed. I think you should find out who you're listening to. I think you should find out who's acting in front and who's writing those scripts. Because the Christian who's abiding in Christ will avoid deniers of Christ. Last point, verses, uh, verse 27. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is tr uh, truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, let me say something that might make somebody angry. I'm sorry if it does, but this is a fact. Do you know the word anointing is used three times? One of them is in James when it talks about anointing the sick with oil. The other two times are in this verse right here. People throw the word anointing around, and I've done it too. As if it's something, you know, oh, man, pastor really preaching. He had the anointing tonight. As if it's some one time or occasional gift that you get when it's, when it's time for you to perform for God. If you're saved, you have the anointing. Because you know what the anointing is talking about here? is talking about when you received the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's the anointing. I'll prove it to you. What does it say here? As the same anointing teacheth you of all things. Where does that come from? It comes from John. It comes from that walk from the upper room to, the, to Gethsemane. And Jesus said, when the spirit of truth is come, he will teach you all things. And Jesus was talking clearly about receiving the spirit at salvation. If you're saved, you have the anointing. So, with that in mind, number five, the Christian who's abiding in Christ is relying on the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, I'll summarize this. We'll be all finished. We'll be done within two minutes here with the message, and then we got to do one more thing before we go. Okay? 
three responsibilities that we have towards the Holy Spirit. And if you hear me say these again and again, it's so that you'll get them. If you study the New Testament, you will see there are three responsibilities that we have towards the Holy Spirit. Number one, grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin, and especially when we sin and don't deal with it. Sin is what grieves the Holy Spirit. So we are to avoid sin lest we grieve the Holy Spirit and he be prevented from doing his work in our lives. Our second responsibility towards the Holy Spirit is not to quench the Holy Spirit. What quenches the Holy Spirit? When he instructs us to do something and we say no. Hey, give a track to that guy over there. Ooh, he looks scary. I know. You just quenched the Holy Spirit. Or when we refuse consistently to do something that the Spirit of God is moving us to do. Like every time you hear a message preached about tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your kids, I love you regularly. And you say, no, that's just not me. No, that's just not me. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. He's telling you to do something. You're saying no. The third responsibility we have towards the Holy Spirit is to walk in the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit. That means let him lead you, let him teach you, let him guide you. Let Rely on him to be the guide of your life. And that doesn't happen by accident or coincidence. It takes work and concentration, focus to do that. So those are our three responsibilities towards the Holy Spirit. All right, let's wrap it up. Are you abiding in Christ? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, abide in him. I'm the vine, you're the branches, except a man abide in me and I in him. He cannot bear fruit. Read John 15 to find out how to abide in Christ. But read 1 John 2 to find out how you're doing it, abiding in Christ. Because five characteristics, and I close my notes, let's see if I can remember them. Five characteristics of the person who's abiding in Christ. First of all, he walks as Jesus walked. Number two, he loves the brethren. Number three, number three, don't tell me he loves not the world. Number four, he is not influenced by antichrist or Christ deniers. Number five, number five, he relies on the Holy Spirit. How are we doing abiding in Christ? Let's have a word of prayer. No invitation this morning. We do this every time we have the Sunday day.